we focus a lot on growth and that's where all the nutrient requirements have come from. But I think we really need to start looking at what are the other aspects of uh, that go into developing a nutrient requirement uh, and specifically looking at maybe the requirements for some of those non-growth functions uh, and just allow the pig to uh, express more fully gut development, health and everything. And so they're just that, that much more robust. So think beyond growth. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Jestall, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. Minitube, the worldwide leading supplier of systems for the field of assisted animal reproduction. Merck Animal Health, driven by prevention. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. I am Laura Greiner, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsored highlight is about Evonic Animal Nutrition. Evonic stands for a holistic and sustainable value proposition for livestock production. It combines products and services and leverages digital solutions. This is all backed with high-value consultancy and deep customer understanding. Evonic turns science-based efficient nutrition, sustainable healthy nutrition, and precision livestock farming into value for customers and consumers. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's Swine It podcast. Today, I have with me Dan Columbus from the Prairie Swine Center. Dan, how are you today? I'm doing good, thanks. How are you? Good, good. Glad to have you on today. Um, Dan, for our audience that, that may not know you, would you mind giving just a little bit of an introduction uh, as to who you are? Yeah, so uh, I'm a research scientist at the Prairie Swine Center where I focus on swine nutrition. And I'm also an adjunct professor at the University of Saskatchewan. Uh, a little bit of background, I'm originally from Sarnia, Ontario. Uh, and I, so I have no farm background. Everything is, has come from <laughs> uh, the, the education, but uh, originally started at Guelph and like most students getting into animal biology, wanted to be a vet, uh, but saw the error of my ways and, and ended up in swine uh, nutrition with the Case de Lang lab at, at Guelph uh, and continued and did my master's and PhD with Case. Um, Afterwards, I moved down to Houston, Texas, of all places, to work with uh, Dr. Teresa Davis, uh, still working with pigs, but um, looking more at their use as a model for human health uh, type research. Uh, and then six years ago, moved up to the Prairie Swine Center, so and, and have been here ever since. Great, great. Yes, Kate Delang is a phenomenal professor and, and researcher, so you had some excellent training along the way. <laughs> Yeah, he, he was a great mentor. I, I wish he was still around. 
Yes, absolutely. Well, so let's let's talk a little bit about then some of the work that you're currently doing. Um, you mentioned briefly you're you're working with pigs as a model for human health. So we'll touch on that. We'll do that towards the end. Um, so I want to start, I think, really with nutrient requirements and and what you're doing in terms of of understanding those requirements from a disease perspective. Uh, we continue continually have these discussions here, even in the United States, about um, what's the right requirement for disease status versus health status? So I'd be interested to hear your take on, on currently what you're seeing and doing. Yeah, so a big part of my uh, research program has been specifically looking at how uh, nutrient requirements change with disease challenge, uh, but also how the diet can impact the pig's response to, to disease and other stressors. Um, this really came out from the move to ban antibiotics for both growth promotion uh, a few years back. Um, but it has developed more uh, just because I think in general, uh, we need to move more away from uh, determining requirements for growth and focusing specifically on growth and how we need to feed the pig to uh, enhance robustness um, and, and its ability to, to resist disease challenge or grow in that. Uh, and really support their overall health. Uh, so we've done a couple of studies. Uh, it started off specifically looking at uh, threonine requirements and disease challenge. Uh, we did an LPS model and, and also looked at dietary fiber. Uh, and this really came about as the fact that fiber can, can impact threonine requirements based on uh, mucin production in the gut. Um, and also threonine is, is really uh, highly utilized by the immune system. So we thought that maybe that would have an, an even greater effect on threonine requirements during disease challenge. Um, in that one, we actually saw that it, it didn't uh, have an additive effect and actually the fiber ended up having more of a protective effect probably because of the increase in use in production. So that was one surprising, but a, a good surprise. Um, since that study, we've done a lot more of looking at uh, more enteric um, disease challenges, specifically salmonella, and how uh, providing additional amino acids may be beneficial in those. So we've done uh, one of those with uh, threonine, and we showed that just providing excess threonine uh, enhanced growth performance during that salmonella challenge. Uh, and more recently, we've been looking at more um, functional amino acids, uh, specifically threonine, tryptophan, and methionine, which have been highly studied during uh, uh, disease challenge. Um, so we've provided those at 20% 20, 20 above NRC, um, and we got a, a further enhancement of growth performance in that situation. Um, and then most recently, we looked at uh, specifically uh, the adaptation period. So a lot of these disease challenges, when we look at the requirements, it's right at the time we challenge them or, or we switch the diet rate when we challenge them, but there was really no work looking at whether or not providing these in advance of the challenge had any uh, greater benefit. And in our most recent study, we did show that the further uh, up to two weeks in advance of the disease challenge actually had a greater uh, impact on on. Uh, the enhanced growth performance and reduction in that uh, immune um, activation. So some, some 
interesting stuff coming out and how we can can impact this. But uh, the overall goal is is simply to provide you know one additional tool that we can use uh, without those antibiotics that may be able to enhance pig health and and pig growth and and uh, that that enhance the bottom line for the for the producers, right? Yeah, so what I'm hearing you talk about too is a lot of enteric disease challenge work. Are you doing anything with viral uh, disease work? So even in the intestines, or are you focusing mainly on just bacterial? Right now we're focusing on the the bacterial and and like you said, the enteric challenges because when we've done or, or other people have done work on this, and then we've actually recently provided a meta-analysis that shows that the enteric challenges seem to have the greatest impact on health and reduction in feed efficiency and, and changes in nutrient requirements compared to some of the other, say, respiratory challenges or, or that. Uh, um, so that's really why we've been focusing on that. And also we are doing uh, our work mainly in nursery pigs um, where gut health is already a challenge uh, with the stress of weaning and, and getting uh, nutrients to them. Uh, so that's really why we've uh, looked at that. We haven't got into uh, viral uh, challenges in the gut though, um, mainly because of just um, what we have available and the, and the model that we have that works. So, uh, and I think for a lot of these, right, it does tend to be E. coli. Uh, we're an outlier even kind of looking at salmonella, uh, but um, it, it, it's working and it's showing us what, we, what we're hoping for. Are you ready for the most innovative web conference of the swine industry? Swine Talks, the TED Talks of the global swine industry on October 6th and 7th, 2021, with over 25 internationally renowned speakers who will deliver powerful and engaging talks. Reserve now your spot at swinetalks.com. So along those lines, you talk about diets affecting pig health. Are there some do's and don'ts that we should be thinking about, particularly in that nursery pig when we're formulating diets? Uh, I, that part of it is still kind of in its infancy, at least for, from our point. I mean, we specifically looked at dietary fiber um, and, and it was uh, showing that, you know, potentially fiber may be more beneficial than what we originally thought because uh, it does have this anti-nutrient kind of um, connotation around it. Um, so we may want to start looking at increasing dietary fiber uh, in those diets uh, as a means to enhance uh, gut health. And I think more research is coming out about that, uh, especially from the, the Scothorst uh, research station is showing, you know, fiber may be actually beneficial in that nursery. Um, the other thing I think in the, uh, it, it's talked about a lot is dietary protein content uh, in, in those nursery diets and reducing dietary protein. Um, we've looked a little bit at that um, and specifically looking at ways to, um, you know, keep, keep protein the same, but maybe adding something to the diet that reduces its effect. Um, so we specifically look at high protein, but then uh, high fiber. Uh, so give those bugs uh, and something else to, to focus on fermenting instead of the protein. Um, so we had we had some some success with that, but not a lot. Uh, I think uh, more work needs to be done to really understand what's happening with the dietary protein story. Uh, I think it's not just a high and low protein, but there there is 
more going on, whether that's the type of protein ingredient being used or the digestibility of the, the ingredient, I think we really need to start looking more and more into. Yeah, I, I think that's the continual conversation. We used to talk about high protein diets and face of disease versus low protein diets. And, and it becomes confounding because of course, when the pig is sick, it may not eat. And so do we increase the nutrient digestive or the nutrient content while the animal is ill, or do we, you know, let that, that nutrient content stay low because the animal is, is addressing other issues. And, and you, you highlighted a key point, certainly when the immune system is active, we know the amino acid requirements do change with an activated immune system. So, um, again, are you doing anything on thinking about those types of requirements in the face of a, of a disease challenge? Yeah, definitely. I think that that's going to come up. We focused on amino acids specifically, but obviously energy is going to play a big uh, role in that as well. And and like you said, you brought up a good point. They eat less when they're sick, right? So you can make the argument they eat less, so they're not going to grow as much. So why would we adjust anything? But I think it's that those ratios uh, for the requirements are likely going to change. And I think that's where we've seen it with the amino acids, where when we talk about ideal protein, uh, it's specifically related to growth for the most part, right? And we can't assume that we're still feeding for growth in a sick pig. And so things like all the amino acid ratios to lysine, I think the lysine ratio to uh, energy is likely going to change in those situations in order to support a different processes within the animal. Yeah, it's very interesting. So another thing that you're doing some work on, of course, would be some mycotoxins. And mycotoxins, of course, are, are something that we are dealing with more and more frequently. I would say in the, in the 15 years that I've been formulating diets, we used to never talk about mycotoxins, and now it's rare not to talk about mycotoxins. So what's some of the work that you're currently doing with mycotoxins? Uh, we actually recently, or are over the last couple of years have looked at uh, specifically mycotoxins and, and deoxynevalanol in grower finisher pigs. And we went that route because a lot of work is done in the nursery phase and not very much in the older pigs. Uh, the other thing we wanted to do is look at it long-term. So a lot of mycotoxin studies are done and they're over three, four weeks. And then you, you see if you have an effect or not, and then you move on. Whereas we really wanted to look at um, the long term. So, six weeks to uh, the one study we did was 11 weeks long that we were feeding these. And then we actually didn't look at any additive or uh, anything to, to mitigate. We just wanted to see specifically if the pigs could adapt or, or uh, adjust to, to having mycotoxins in the diet. So, um, for that, we ran two studies. The first one was a finisher study, so starting at about 75 kilograms all the way to market. And then the second one was a uh, grower finisher, so 35 kilograms all the way to market. And the pigs received either uh, a control diet or um, one, three, or five ppm uh, Dawn in the diet. And they stayed on that diet the entire time. So we never took them off. They got Dawn the whole time. And what we found was, as expected, you know, um, when you first give Dawn, the pigs, the intake will go down uh, and growth performance goes down. 
Um, but in both situations, after about three to four weeks, the intake recovers and the growth recovers, and then they're growing as you would expect. Um, they never um, recover from that loss in body weight, though. So when we marketed them, they were anywhere from three to, I think it was eight kilos lighter uh, than their control or one PPM counterparts. Um, but at least the tool is there now that, and the information is there that if producers are like, well, I'm going to get this, uh, this hit on performance, but if I could keep my pigs a week longer or whatever, then it might not be um, that bad. The one good thing is, is that we saw there was no effect in any of the pigs with one PPM dawn. So at least when it comes to the requirements of kind of the maximum level, that seems to be uh, justified. Um, so it's really, you know, looking at above that one PPM and what adjustments you may need to make. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. We've talked about that for many years and particularly in sows, being able to tolerate a greater level of Don in particular compared to obviously a nursery pig or even a finisher hog. Um, but I've heard that as well, that the pigs do seem to adjust. It's just a question of of how much you're willing to give on on that loss in particular and and then you know how long can we from a welfare perspective wait for the animals to eat and recover right so um along with that though one of the the things that we continue to hear in the united states is well it's not just don or vomitoxin that comes into the grain it's usually multiple metabolites and various versions of other mycotoxins and so um have you looked at any studies where you're bringing that in combination with maybe a zeralinone or a fumonisin? And does that change that response? We haven't specifically looked at that. I, uh, mycotoxin work is incredibly difficult to do when just trying to get one, especially when you're looking at naturally uh, contaminated feed, um, let alone trying to get <laughs> the levels of another one in there at the same time. I know there have been some work that's been done by other groups and there does seem to be kind of a uh, synergistic effect with some of these mycotoxins where you have multiple contaminations and they, they um, can um, further or, or cause a further reduction in performance or other effects that we necessarily didn't see with just Dawn alone. Uh, for instance, we didn't see the, the basically the immune or health effects that we would have been expecting with just Dawn. So whether or not the previous studies that have seen that is because there was another mycotoxin present. Um, the benefit is that, or I guess the one good news story is that the um, some of these uh, adsorbents and other mycotoxin mitigants seem to work against some of these other mycotoxins, whereas they don't with Dawn. So at least you might be able to add something to the diet um, that can maybe eliminate one half of your, your story. We specifically focused on Dawn because it is the most prevalent and it does seem to be at the highest levels when, when at, to the point that you would have to do something in your diets versus some of the other uh, mycotoxins, which happen a little bit more frequently and may not be at those high levels. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very good point. You know, we, we focus on Dawn because it impacts all phases of production equally, right? Even though the levels might be different from a nursery to a sow in terms of tolerance, it affects them equally. We generally don't get too concerned about xeralinone in a nursery or in a finishing operation compared to in a sow operation. So I think 
obviously working on Don is a, a good starting point. And um, I'd be interested to hear what your work continues to show. I think there's a lot that we can do. Um, certainly years ago, we used to talk about how we maybe changed even some of our amino acids because of the response that vomitoxin elicits from a hormonal um, aspect within the brain, right? We changed the brain biochemistry. So should we change the amino acids that also influence that brain biochemistry? Um, but I haven't seen a lot of work on that recently. So I think, you know, as you continue that work, I'd be excited to hear what you see. Yeah, you bring up a good point too, right? With the, the changing and the requirements in that. And one of the things that we were wondering is if you know that the pigs are gonna be eating less for a period of time, do you change the nutrient density of your diet to account for that? Um, it would be interesting uh, to get that work done. Maybe I can get money to do it in the future, but yeah, I, I think it's now that we have that information that they can adapt, uh, how do we maybe minimize that effect? Well, the last thing I promised that we'd come back to, of course, is talking about how you're using pigs as a model for human health. Um, can you share a little bit about what you're doing currently in that area? Yeah, this, this obviously started with my postdoc work down in Houston, where we were looking at how uh, specifically um, leucine can improve uh, lean gain in uh, low birth weight pigs. Um, and so I've kind of taken that interest with me um, to prairie swine. Uh, and because it has that effect, uh, low birth weight is not just a human um, health issue, right? This is also something that we're seeing more and more in swine production and the increase in, in lower birth weight pigs uh, with this increase in litter size um, and how do we feed these pigs or how do we um, uh, support them uh, um, it, so that we don't lose them or that you know they, we can still get them to market. Uh, specifically, one of the things that we've been looking at is trying to characterize those low birth weight pigs um, and it's uh, when it comes to the the the, meta, the metabolome or even the proteome, right? So what is it that makes these pigs respond differently? Is it just they're small, so they're always going to grow slow, um, or can we do something uh, find find a target in there that maybe some signal isn't working as well as it does in a normal birth weight uh, pig, and we can adjust the feed to account for that. Uh, so that's really where we're, we're, we're sitting at now. We've also collaborated with some other groups looking at cardiovascular function uh, in low birth weight pigs who are either under or normal fed. Um, and so we've looked at um, neural, so brain vascular uh, flow, blood flow and how that's affected and overall cardiac function. Um, and that's with uh, groups both at Saskatchewan and Michigan State, uh, and that really comes from the more the human health side, uh, as an example, because we do find that low birth weight infants tend to grow into adults with an enhanced or uh, an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, decreased cardiovascular function, exercise ability, uh, and kind of all those. So how do we enhance that lifelong growth or, or and health? Of, of humans as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's what's intriguing to me is that we do see, particularly in the, those low birth weight pigs, we tend to see um, almost a nutrient absorption deficiency is what I'd like to call it. 
we can see those piglets. They're up at the sows underlying their nursing. Um, aggressively, you would think that they would do well, but they just tend to struggle. Um, and I haven't kept up on on preemies and, and low birth weight infants, but do we see something along those lines in the gut of the piglet, or is that just something that I'm imagining? Uh, that's what we're actually hoping to, to show in this. We've had some preliminary work where we, there did seem to be some reduction in nutrient transporter expression uh, and enzyme. Uh, so digestive enzyme expression in the gut of these pigs uh, related to um, birth weight, uh, but also related to age. So we did see signif more significant differences in those, depending on whether we were testing weaning at weaning or at the end of the nursery period, say. So we're not seeing the, the huge differences between the low birth weight and the normal birth weight, which is kind of indicating to us maybe more and more that as long as you can get the nutrients into them, you know, they're, they're okay. Uh, but because they're smaller, you know, the, the just average daily gain is not going to ever be equivalent. Um, one of the things we did find, because we also looked, so in this one study that we did, we looked at low birth weight and normal birth weight, and then we would, we under fed them or full fed them, uh, with the sow. So we took half the pigs off the sow um, for six hours a day and then put them back on. So they were about a 25% reduction in feed intake and it reduced their growth. But then as soon as we put them back into the nursery, they were by the end of nursery, they were right back up to their normal fed counterparts. Um, so it does seem to be maybe more that there's a, a physiological, uh, response going on and, and, and that, um, response to nutrient intake maybe more than just the supply of nutrients itself. Yeah, that's very interesting. I'll, I'll look forward to seeing more of your results because like, you're right, it's an issue that we have to continue to address. And I don't think we all officially know the, the correct protocol on how to manage those low birth weight pigs other than we just try to put them on a good sow and, and hope they get a, a good amount of milk consumption, right? That's put them on a good salad, try to create feed, try to get the feed up in the nursery. It, yeah, there's lots of strategies going on, but I, and I think hopefully we, we find something, you know, related more to the physiology that allows us to, uh, to maybe take a little bit more targeted approach uh, in trying to, to more the, instead of the shotgun, uh, we'll just throw everything at them and see what works. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It make my life much easier from a production standpoint if I can just say, oh, <laughs> this is what I need to do with that pig. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I do appreciate your time. And so as we wrap up kind of our conversation here, there are a couple of key points that you would like our audience to, to think about or, or remember from our discussion today about some of your work. Uh, I think the biggest thing is related to health and, and nutrient requirements is that um, you know, we, we focus a lot on growth um, and that's where all the nutrient requirements have come from. Um, but I think we really need to start looking at what are the other aspects of uh, that go into developing a nutrient requirement uh, and specifically looking at maybe the requirements for some of those non-growth functions uh, and just allow the pig to uh, express more fully gut development, health, and everything. And so they're just that that much more robust. So I think think beyond growth would be my biggest take-home message. 
That's a very good take-home message. I like that one. It is time to our famous three. The truth is precision swine production is not the future. It is the present. Every pig is the intelligent pig health platform. It is a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Request a free 20-minute demonstration at www.everypig.co slash swineit. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. Well, so as you know, we, we tend to wrap up our podcast with a couple of key questions that we ask all of our guest speakers. So the first one I'd like to ask you is, you know, what is your favorite swine resource book? Uh, I think for me, it's uh, maybe too common, but NRC uh, is the biggest one for me. And that's just because we are you know, constantly testing those requirements and how they can change and everything. So I think it's a good starting point, but also a good point um, to bring uh, where does research need to go uh, to maybe fill in those gaps. Um, a little bit less of a technical one would probably be the amino acids by Gu Yaowu, uh, and that's because I'm I'm an amino acid nerd, uh, so I really like <laughs> knowing about what they're doing and the metabolism uh, and how you know what influence they have again beyond growth, right? So uh, I think those would be my my two favorites. Well, we also like to expand our minds in ways outside of our profession, of course. And so are there any books that you're reading or recently have read that that are not swine related that you'd like to share with the audience? Uh, so more recently, I think one of the interesting ones uh, would be Outliers um, by Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, and that's really about why certain people succeed uh, and, and succeed really, really well in, in some instances and, and kind of what goes into that. There's some surprising things that come in, you know, there tends to be a little bit more luck than we, we like to think, um, but also some uh, other kind of suggestions for hard work and everything will, can get you there too. So I think that one's really good. Um, I think I actually do have outliers on my shelf. We, we have used that one here in the house before. Um, so the, <laughs> the last question I have is when you think about people who are successful in, in your profession, what characteristics stand out to you in your mind? I, I think the biggest one is constantly questioning uh, the, what, what, it, what may be considered dogma and trying new things. Uh, so in a word, be it, or in a couple words, be a disruptor. Uh, don't just accept that something is, you know, is the way it is uh, and question it and come up with the, the weird and the, the, what some people might think is crazy and not worth studying. And I think that's really um, one of the, the key aspects to how to, to how to really be successful in this. Very good. Well, Dan, I appreciate your time today. It was a pleasure visiting with you. Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. And for everyone on our listening group, this is Dan Columbus from Prairie Swine Center. So again, thank you and have a great day. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas.
Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.